0: I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's episode is a talk given by Carl Abrahamson called Reconnecting with the Anima Mundi. Carl and I have a conference coming up in October in Copenhagen called Visionary Medium psychoanalysis, and the magic of cinema. The submission deadline is fast approaching, so if you'd like to present, please have your submission in by Monday, July 25th. You can email me at vs at drvanessasinclair.net or sinclairvanessa at gmail.com. Visit the website, psych. Art Cult for more information. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org. Carl Abrahamson is a Swedish author specializing in a culture. His books include The Devil's Footprint, Sacred Intent, Different People, Reasonances, A Culture, and the Fenris Wolf series. You can find out more about him at his website carlabrahamson.com That's C-A-R-L A-B-R-A-H A-M-S-S-O-N dot com And follow him at social media on Instagram at carl.abrahamson and Twitter at C A. Abrahamson. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry, published by Trapar Books 2019. For more information, you can visit the publisher's website, Trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T.net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash vanessa23carl. Thank you so much for all of our supporters and to our Patreon community. Your support is so appreciated.
1: Thank you for joining me for this lecture called Reconnecting to the Anima Mundi. I hope you're going to enjoy it and that you'll also check out all my other lectures. Thank you. Is there such a thing as a world soul? The concept of an anima mundi uh, has followed us through history in various cultural and regional guises and seems unwilling to disappear. Whereas physiological, mental, cultural and other developments constantly morph based on adaption to our biospheric demands. The concept of a world soul has taken on new descriptive forms but seems to remain essentially the same. As with all components on this planet we are geared for survival. Regardless if we're sentient or not apparently sentient, it's all the same. We fight for our survival And for that of our progeny. One could argue, so far, so good, as we have come a long and magnificent way as humans. But at the same time, one could equally well utter an acronymically contemporary WTF, what the fuck, as our path of apparent success is lined with the ill smelling debris of hubris the main human curse has always been the same obsession with details, minutiae, connected to an imbalanced emotional reactivity rather than assuming a balanced bird's eye perspective with an inherent moderation of reactivity. Is this because we're inherently self-destructive or simply because we've temporarily lost touch with the anima mundi, with the world soul? Periods of progress seem to go hand-in-hand with an insightful view of the holistic need to integrate rather than segregate. Knowledge needs wisdom, information needs language, business needs morals, general behavior needs psychology, etc. If we are allowed, or encouraged even, to be strictly causal and instinctive in reactive loops, primitive mayhem will always ensue and it's interesting to watch this not merely on levels of large conflicts such as war but also in familial and regional skirmishes in some parts of the world family conflicts and vendettas have gone on for so long transgenerationally that no one really knows what the original cause of the conflict even was the world soul needs to be anchored on the individual level first and foremost. When concepts and philosophies have tolerantly been allowed to be debated and developed by human individuals, that has spread to other aspects of human culture in very uh, beneficial ways. If larger systems of faith have clung to power with an integrated exclusive right to interpret and disseminate the mysteries. That has usually had distinctly adverse effects on culture and progress in general. But even the sternest and most rigid control systems haven't been able to fully hold back the human individual's longing to reconnect to something bigger and cosmic. This proto-human longing is the source of all genuine religion and philosophy and if one is allowed to explore the universe as an individual and together with others of like mind, good things will come. If draconian measures are taken to separate the individual from the totality, bad things will come. General frustration, neurosis, ill health, cultural malaise and animosity are all merely reactions to being trapped in insularity rather than immersed in unity. The Gnostics tried to formulate this in many schematic systems, beautifully indicative of the human mind's need to share radical and useful information. Ditto the early Gnostic Christians carrying on in a tradition of Mediterranean enlightenment. The early universities not only tried to systematize knowledge and wisdom but they did so in a spirit which was uh, usually decidedly Holistic. Platonic and neoplatonic philosophies as well as their resurgence during the Renaissance contain the idea that not only everything but also everyone is connected. A genuine realization of this has deep implications not only on levels of knowledge and philosophy but also on those of morals and respect for nature and for life itself. Who or what can teach us about these things today? We can of course read and study and wallow through tons of learned regurgitations of other regurgitations with further footnotes to drastically add to the weight of the planet. But it seems obvious that all sources point in the same direction, the absolutely necessary connection between the individual inner and the general cosmic outer. The breach needs to be overcome. And this is of course beyond mere existentialism or any other ism. What it seems to imply is simply that the individual needs to expose herself to the world soul in order to let it get a proper hold of her inner individual soul. There needs to be a receptivity and a connection. The overzealousness of the Western culture is problematic in this sense. For instance, the internet is a fine example of something that has the potential of connecting the world and sharing experiences intellectually. But the commercialization of the technological platform quickly ensnared and enslaved through fragmentation and devastating devotion to minutiae, rather than encouraging substantial soul-searching. The same dilemma is true of the psychedelic, shamanic by proxy community in its relation to the draconian structure of most societies. No sane person could deny the beneficial aspects of the psychedelic experience. In this reconnective process. But as long as plants and organisms are made illicit and thereby ostracized, truly an indication of cultural malaise and moral degeneration, the discourse becomes extremely complicated and even more so when we look at chemically synthesized psychedelic substances often developed within the system for the purposes of commercial uh, exploitation. The counterforce against individual empowerment and uh, illumination within the control systems is intimately linked to the decline of that culture in general. However, the unwillingness to allow for any individual's proper individuation and reconnection is a marker of that society's inherent knowledge that there actually is something substantial there there is a potential threat there. The interpretation of that process as a threat rather than as a blessing is indicative of the degree of lost contact with the world soul. History is filled with brave attempts at formulating this concept and this human need. Often this has had to be done in symbolic form. The history of esotericism is therefore in many ways a history of unnecessarily complex formulations of fairly simple concepts again. The need for covert activity exists in relation to the restrictive agenda of the rule. But it is also interesting to note that the strength of these formulations and symbols actually increase as the draconian energy increases. This could perhaps indicate that there are forces at play and work that transcend mere individual needs. Also, although many philosophers and religionists have had personal issues, as leaders of movement, jockeying for position, being the king of a specific esoteric hill, etc. They have at the same time dutifully paid homage to an unbroken, pro-human tradition that seems utterly necessary to both individual and communal well-being. I don't believe they would have done this had their motives and goals been merely uh, personal if we look at the phenomenon from our species point of view we need to return to uh, very early stages we stem from the same homo sapiens origins and the diversity we can see today has simply had to do with regional migratory experiences which in turn have generated both cultural and racial differences. Evolution is a constant process, but the DNA we have shared during a relatively short period of earthly time still indicates that not much has really changed at all. We still have essentially the same fight or flight responses physical reactions, structures of communities and approaches to life. We want to survive. However, there is one thing that truly sets different cultural tribes apart and that's the relationship to the earth itself. The reliance on what the earth and nature as such brings for your day-to-day survival creates a humility and respect that is simply not there when we're looking at industrial farming and genetically modified uh, produce. Actual distance from the soil brings cultural abstraction and apparently a disconnect from the anima mundi. Is it any wonder then that the abstracted and hubristic Western humans are currently embracing space travel and space colonization as the way out of current problems? Where the Internet can be seen as a potential intellectual connection between humans, the increase in human travel could mean an increased emotional insight and connection between cultures. But is this the case? As with most illuminating experiences, including the psychedelic ones, our specific culture unfortunately has no language or technique for the substantial integration of these things. That's why most young Westerners bounce back to the expected and the causal, even though they have at certain times experienced something completely different and valuable. And whether this is a societal programming or some other kind of necessary restraint lies beyond the scope of this little lecture. But the potential of connection via uh, world travel also unfortunately seems bogged down by a one-sided communication. We, meaning affluent westerners in general, travel to be experienced but we only leave waste and pollution behind as thanks. And even the computers with which we connect with others and communicate are sent off to exotic locations after they've ceased functioning and piled up on literal ranges of technological waste. A genuine connection and communication requires a two-way traffic, an unhampered flow uh, back and forth. We cannot communicate with a world soul by demanding it should simply give us what it might have to offer. The concept of what you give is what you get would be a more Uh, appropriate approach here. What unifies human experience within primal cultural perspectives is the shamanic. We all stem from shamanic societies and cultures in which a communication with and via higher levels of consciousness is not only integrated as fact but completely necessary (coughs) for the functioning and well-being of society. A shamanic culture is one where the world soul doesn't exist as an arbitrary phenomenon. It is, on the contrary, non-existent because it already permeates everything and everyone. It is not an outside phenomenon, it is the existential glue that binds life together. A similar approach and connection has been integrated in most polytheistic societies, where the sum of a dynamic society becomes the connective sphere itself. But it's interesting to see how hubristic human mythology has been on its journey from the strictly shamanic holistic to the detrimentally monotheistic, with polytheism acting as some kind of interim stage. The more human-like the gods become, or vice versa, the more we've distanced ourselves from a beneficial unity through separation and ensuing disintegration. In uh, polytheistic Hinduism, the relationship between Brahman and Atman Outer cosmic soul and inner human ditto is what binds together the colorful pantheon and all human souls reflected in the different gods' chaotic uh, antics. In Chinese culture, the concept of Dao has been even more advanced and present. The Tao is the all-permeating life force that human individuals can tap into by adhering to a non-striving, non-disturbing way of life, perhaps best described by the water finds its own level. Yes, human beings can build advanced dams for their own use, but they will eventually all burst. And if you adapt to that philosophy and to nature as such, at least according to the Taoists, you will find a more intelligent position in which you uh, successfully work with nature, human or general, rather than so diligently against it. There are many remnants of pan cultural behavior that indicate an innate sense of interspecies solidarity and thereby a no- non sectarian approach. In times of acute crisis, for instance, the affinity circle, which is the culturally signified adherence matrix, we favor others in succession and distance from ourselves based on family, friends, sex, race, culture, and other identifiers. This is temporarily dissolved in crisis. In situations of war or natural disaster, we will help other humans in need, simply because are uh, more or less distanced intellectual stance is short-circuited and we see only life or death for individuals essentially not unlike ourselves. And this strongly indicates that basic human morals are not something arbitrary or religious but rather that they constitute a genuine unity with those around us. And the more rigid the separation, uh, the cultural programming, the harder it will be to reconnect. But a real crisis or shock a transcendence always paves the way and the ensuing emotional impact of not only the situation itself but of the concrete reconnection with another human being or more is often overwhelming for those involved. Carl Jung's researches uh, of the human psyche brought relevant insights into the acknowledgement of the anima mundi uh, concept. Jung stressed that instinctual needs can take form, both in archetypical dreams but also on a larger accumulated scale in myths and myth-related art. Our shared past and our similar reactions to both adversities and blessings throughout the millennia have created similar ways of expressing our experiences and processes. Jung's collective unconscious and its creative manifestations in different cultures are enlightening when looking at the anima mundi concept. Our exteriors may have changed over time but our psyches remain essentially the same. Jung's concepts of anima in men and animus in women means something more than merely the need for interpersonal sexual consciousness and balancing. One very concrete way of reconnecting with a higher level of consciousness lies of course in sexual union. An altered state of awareness tied together with the process of creating new life actually or symbolically has been at the center of all esoteric and genuinely religious teachings throughout human history. And there is of course a reason for this. Sexual union and its ecstatic mind frame is usually described as a blotting out of the individual mind and consciousness in favor of one of union. Again a moment of transcendence. The result whether a child or just plain well-being, may not be an end in itself as facilitating a dissemination of DNA, but could also indicate an existential quintessence, the ecstatic blotting out of the ego in order to reconnect with the anima mundi. It is in those brief transcendental moments that we are fully sentient and ready to both send and receive. Evolution means change Yes, but a healthy prerequisite for change is always exchange. Theodore de Bry's 1617 image, Anima Mundi. Uh, Integra natura speculum artistica imago is one of the finest attempts ever to illustrate a system with that kind of bird's-eye perspective I mentioned earlier. It has a mandalic quality in its circular shape, so dear to Jung in his analysis of the collective unconscious and how it manifests in similar ways in different cultures and at different times. But this image by de uh, seems to encompass as much as possible the human woman with her feet firmly rooted in water and earth with her head in the stars connecting downwards by a chain to an early primate itself holding a terrestrial terrestrial globe and upwards to a divine force in the sky by a chain too no less this leads to speculation not only if there is a creator or a supreme intelligence but equally to whether de integrated that extra element complete with a supernal Hebrew yod He vau he, in a radiant cloud as a safeguard in contemporary restrictive times. The key to this illustration and to much of alchemical and esoteric art is the willingness to not only beautifully express a system but also to share it with others in this case as integrated in Robert Flood's magnificent opus Utryuski Cosmi. Flood's book was published at a time when Europe was defined by the murder of the so-called heretic Giordano Bruno and by Galileo's initial astronomical explorations and the rising tension between Protestants and Catholics just before the outbreak of the Thirty Year War. The world beyond Europe was either threatening by exotic mystery or an aggressive Islam, or looming with pecuniary potential on other continents, or all of these things. The chaos of any societal culture, more or less draconian, seemingly always makes connective sparks light up and seeds sprout, not at all unlike psychedelic mushrooms in the dark or underneath excretia. Or even feces. It is interesting to see in Debray's image how the so called liberal arts, in this case music, painting, timekeeping, Uh, astrology, geomancia, geometry, etc. are squeezed in between the mineral, vegetable and animal kingdoms and their spiritual counter spheres in the Shima. As if saying there is a link between the tangible and the intangible for all individuals, that of human culture, science, self-reflection and progress. There are many other examples uh, especially during the renaissance of a dissemination of ideas and cosmic displays going against the grain of religious tyranny and budding materialistic dualism. Similar trains of thought have since been carried on Uh, onwards by thinkers like Paracelsus, uh, Spinoza, Leibniz, Schelling, Hegel and many others, as well as by contemporary people from the occult, psychedelic and New Age communities or movements. The lesson is always basically the same. Our planet is one single organism and we are all sentient parts of it. We can learn from that in our own individuation processes and we can teach it ourselves by being earnest in our work, finding things out and sharing them, displaying them either in tacit wisdom or in lavish works of art like De Bryce Integra Naturae. The resurgence and popularity of ayahuasca in the western sphere is a clear indication of a longing for cosmic reconnection. Although it may on the surface seem like just another trippy trend, all trends are basically, uh, they all have a substantial source. Ayahuasca is used by Latin American Indians not as a recreational pastime, but in a visionary quest to learn about themselves and about the nature surrounding them. That this would not affect Westerners in a similar way is unlikely. We can perhaps also initially dismiss the commercialized aspects of yoga in our societies but we can't forget where yoga came from and the beneficial aspects it has had for thousands of years and very likely continues to have even among the expensively and colorfully yoga-clad housewives of America. Nothing catches on until there's an inherent need for it. All of these pop phenomena signal a strong need to reconnect to the world soul. They are seen from a union perspective, an acknowledgement, an objectification, and an externalization of a need that would otherwise remain stagnant, or even negative, underneath the civilized surface and when singular phenomena like these become movements it's indicative of that the culture in question needs to become aware of the potential adverse effects of not dealing with these issues. The popularization of previously esoteric phenomena has a psychopompic function which means that it acts as a transmitter between the conscious and the unconscious and if our conscious has become too minute and reactive in ways that could threaten not only our own existence but also that of the entire planet then it's become obvious that we are being flooded by unconscious signals and manifestations some good some bad Images like the Bryce and the general primitive schematic approach have helped people realize the need for unity and awareness for centuries. Today we can look at it in awe and gratitude, but our main dilemma is that we no longer, as back then, have too little information and knowledge, but rather too much. Affluence and saturation can be stifling and the apparent benevolence of complexity a hindrance to fully realizing how simple life actually is or should be. Although Carl Jung claimed that the archetypes as such are mainly formal rather than content-based and that the similarities in between times and cultures basically reflect instinctive reactions that surface in content and form via dreams and myths. It would be safe to say that today we are faced not only with these surfaced archetypes, we are rather flooded by massive instinctive signals and they're all flashing red. If we toy with the idea that there actually is a world soul, and why shouldn't we, it's safe to say it's high time to reconnect by any means available. Being disconnected from nature obviously leads to a decimated chance of survival and pleasure. The increasingly chaotic state of the world simply indicates there is a deep-rooted need for change, preferably before we reach that critical point of no return. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this lecture and uh, I hope that you also check out my other lectures. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a talk by Carl Abrahamson called Reconnecting with the Anima Mundi. I have turned several of Carl's lectures into episodes of Rendering Unconscious podcast Check out Rendering Unconscious, Episode 7, On Formulating the Desired Psychoanalysis and Ritual, Episode 44, Intuition as a State of Grace, Episode 82 is his panel from our second Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult Conference, Rewriting the Future, 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis. Episode 118 Carl Jung, Mythmaker. Episode 133 The Magic of Dreams Made Real. Episode 154 On the Temple of Psychic Youth. Episode 161 On Anton LaVey as a Magical Innovator. And Episode 179 Called We're on the road to somewhere on pilgrimage. You are welcome to join Carl and I at our Patreon. Every week on Monday, we have Magic Monday where we post about our various magical practices. And this week, for example, Carl posted about a recent pilgrimage we made to Montaigne's Tower in Bordeaux. And now the track. We will be outside the box. From the album, The Cutting Up of Love and Language, a collaboration I did with Pete Murphy. Enjoy. We will be encouraging others to think outside the box. We will be sexual. To pink outside the box. To think outside the box. To think outside the box. Outside the pink box.